Thank you for listening to our Circumpolar People podcast. Um, I'm Mae Holton. I'm Emma Hyde. I'm William Lickert. I am Chris King. And we are going to be discussing the Ukrainian war. I'm going to start out with a hypothetical situation. Imagine you're a woman in the Saha Republic in Russia. You're an indigenous person of the Saha ethnic group, living a life deeply rooted in tradition, yet um, are very influenced by the modern life, living in a modern home. Family is very important to you. Uh, Your parents and your husband's parents live with you, and your son as well. Your daughter moved south to go to school, but your husband and son have stayed to work and support the family. Life is content. Despite the seemingly peaceful time, your family does suffer from poverty and your community is deeply rooted in drug abuse and crime. Life up north is not easy, especially being a minority poorly funded by the Russian government. In 2022, the Russo-Ukrainian war broke out, leading to a mass recruitment of soldiers. In such impoverished times, the risk of dying in war was outweighed by the war benefits your family would gain by participating. At wit's end, to keep himself and his family safe, your husband joined the war soon after your son would be drafted. Left alone to take care of your elderly family and live in such an impoverished area, you too felt the overwhelmingly crushing feeling of suffocation. Words of your husband and son coming back seems impossible. For some, this scenario doesn't have to be imagined. The Ukrainian war has affected millions of families and the effect it's had on indigenous people in Russia has been absolutely devastating. Yeah, it all started in February of 2022 and Russia increases military presence in Crimea. By March of that year, Russia had taken Sumy, Kharkiv, Mirpool, and Kherson, resulting in Russia being grounded in Kiev, and then everything changes. Yeah. You, Ukraine starts beating, beating back the Russians. Mm-hmm. And today, Kiev is, there's no Russians near it right now. The coast is still choked out, but Kiev is safe. And what's crazy is the UN Human Rights Office by June of this year has recorded nearly 9,000 civilian deaths, 15,000 civilian injuries, nearly 6 million displaced, and nearly 8 million forced labor in countries. Going into the Sami people, this group has been affected as well, and they're mostly uh, Western European indigenous group. They span between Norway, uh, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. And before that, they used to freely go in between these countries because this war, they've been divided again. Russian Sami has sided with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and the Transnational Sami Council has decided to suspend formal relations with the Sami of Russia. For decades, relations between the uh, Russian Sami and Nordic Sami have been divided for decades. And for decades, uh, Sami people have been trying to strengthen these ties. However, with this war, the sudden divide, everything has that they've worked towards has come crashing down. And sadness for the Sami people have been has been felt, and hopelessness too. Yeah, right after the start of the war, uh, Russian or Russia has violated a lot of norms surrounding the way they treat these indigenous people. Uh, pollution is becoming like a huge problem because a lot of Russian oil and mining corporations are taking advantage of the land because those areas are really rich in those sorts of resources. And they can't really speak out against it because freedom of speech is a big issue in Russia right now. You can't really speak out about what the government's doing or anything about the war or anything. So they kind of are pressured to side with 
the people that you live with. Yeah. Due to this mistreatment that these indigenous people in poorer parts of Russia and Ukraine are experiencing, there has been a huge refugee surge in Europe. This has increased additional spending on security and defense in a lot of surrounding countries, and the work supply, like the work labor force, has increased, but the re refugee numbers are so high that there's not enough jobs available. So a lot of them are having a hard time getting income after they flee the country, and they're in poverty, and this has also caused a lot of tension when it comes to traveling and people visiting Europe. There's been flight bans and reroutes. Um, in order to fly between Europe and Asia, you have to avoid Russian airspace. So there's been reroutes and then Russian aircraft cannot go into the EU. And because of the loss of tourism, there's also been economic issues. So um, Russia has been losing income from tourism, but also exports. Due to tension, countries are choosing not to buy the main commodities that Russia exports from Russia and instead go to other countries. According to the Russian Ministry of France, the federal oil revenues from January to March of 2023 were 40% lower than the prior year. Before the war, oil revenues constituted 30 to 35% of the total Russian budget, and in 2023, the oil revenues have fallen to just 23%. Um, with this, the U.S. has also been putting trade sanctions on Russia, making the impoverished parts even poorer, which has also been influencing indigenous areas and making their life harder. I mean, to kind of add, uh, what's happening is that Russia, the Tiatabu Wagner group, they've came out of Russia with from a guy named Yevgeny Prigozhin, who had the nickname Putin's chef because he was he actually would provide a lot of food for the Kremlin. And he was a known criminal himself, and it kind of goes into what he ended up doing. He founded the, the group, the Wagner group was like 5,000 of, of Russia's, of Russia's like special force and other elite units. But the, the way he got as big as he did to do what he ends up doing is he ends up taking Ukrainian prisoners mm -hmm. and telling them, if you fight for me, I will give you pardon. Now, you can argue if that, that he, if he was even able to do that, that's at his point. It happened. And what he ends up doing is he ends up, middle of the night, pretty much, he ends up taking the South headquarters of the Russian military by force. And the ending of this is Russia's very weakened. So, so is the Wagner group, and they're still trying to be assimilated into Russia today with Prigozhin now in Belarus, with, mm -hmm. with the Belarusian president. He bargained for Prigozhin's safety, got him in Belarus. And... It's just a crazy development happened during this war. So is the Wagner group like a resistance group or like? They're, it's interesting because they formed, like I said, they formed from the Russian militia. Mm -hmm. This guy's up high up in power himself. You'd think he has no reason to do it, but as happens to a lot of these governments, when someone's high up, those are the people that tend to rebel. They get kind of disillusioned with it. Yeah, because those are the people that, those are the only people that have the power to do it. Mm -hmm. So there's a good chance that yeah, this is rebellion, but it's not the rebellion we think of. It's almost like if part of the American American army just said, screw America, hmm. overnight. And so are they helping Ukraine like actively or? No, they're just doing their own thing. It's interesting because Ukraine, US, um, UK, and one other have, have actually labeled them as terrorists. Hmm. And that's actually what they are, they're a terrorist group. So yeah, Ukraine is not like them. Oh, so they're independent of, like, both parties? 
Yeah, it would, it would seem so. Hmm. Kind of related to that. Uh, there's a lot of like Russian citizens and people, indigenous people that resided in Russia going over to Ukraine to join the war effort on their front. And uh, the group, the they have a, it's called the uh, Siberian Battalion. It's comprised mostly of like indigenous people from the Saha Republic and from, I think it's, uh, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Baradia, just a lot of indigenous people and their motivation is like fighting Russian imperialism. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Yeah, you kind of add that part of the Rod group. We just found that the group is also operating in Syria, Mali, Central Central African Republic, Sudan, and Libya. So this was not overnight. They've oh, been, so they're like outside of Russia. Yeah, too. yeah, they've been going for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And if you've been watching the news, you've probably heard about them before. And they have just started popping up. The one, the only other one, they, it's the U.S., Germany, Ukraine, Ukraine, and the U.K. So it's Germany as well. So have they affected like the war in Russia? Um, it with with that attack, definitely. It was an internal attack that, that Putin did not see coming. Mm-hmm. He he immediately claimed treason mm-hmm. and tried to stop the Russia, tried to stop him as quick as he could. He never really did because they got stopped before they could really get going. And I think Putin's fear was if they got going, things could really hit the fan, mm-hmm. even more than they already had. I just want to go back to what Emma said. Um about Russians leaving the country. Yeah, around 500,000 to 1 million have left the country, um, either evading the war, leaving doing to, due to poor conditions, or being exiled for going against the war. In September 22, a military mobilization was ordered, needing many new troops to be enlisted. So with that, many more people have left the country. And with that, it's just, everyone's just leaving. I know uh, in some figures I had about 700,000 people mm-hmm. left explicitly because of the draft, even though only about, like, I think it was around 300,000 of them were actually scheduled for it. And a lot of the EU countries actually aren't taking refugees. They expressly said they're not going to take, like, draft dodgers or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah, I found out that during the first half of 2023, EU refugee requests reached 519,000, which is the highest number of requests since 2016. And now the number is heading towards 1 million by the end of this year. Yeah, and there's also a lot of uh, uh, prejudice towards Russian people. Even if they get into the country, the people of the country might not even like them, so they might yeah. go through a lot of hardships. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, this is not something people can avoid, and it, the draft dodgers are technically criminals now. Mm-hmm. They will be locked up in gulags. They will be locked up in prisons. And then you talk about the Ukrainians. Well, where they're moving, one of the countries is Poland. And it's getting overcrowded right now. And there is becoming a huge issue with how many Ukrainians, how many refugees are there. Because I mentioned 8 million, I was not lying. It's there's and a good chunk of that is in Poland still. And that is not a huge country. Yeah. And these refugees, they're going everywhere. Like when they go to a country in Europe, they're even if it's a popular tourist destination like Rome, like London, like they're going to the big cities too, and that's just causing a lot of fear and people traveling. Um, I have some friends that are supposed to be going to Europe last week, and they're going to stay there for two months, but because of the war, they canceled their trip, and now they're going to Ireland for two weeks. The refugee surge is also just insinuating like a lot of fear into people living there, but also people traveling there. It's affecting like travel like everywhere, apparently. Yeah. Like even not even just like near Ukraine, like even further yeah. like west yeah even in asia and also in northern africa mm-hmm. yeah. the people that are mostly leaving are 
um, impoverished areas. So that's a lot of indigenous people mm-hmm. um, due to the draft recruiting mostly people in these impoverished areas. It's just like areas that are that have high Im- unemployment, drug addiction, and criminal activity. Mostly these people are joining the army just to get away from that. Um, and also leaving the country just to get away from that. So yeah. I know earlier in the war, like before the draft, a lot of people were like recruited under contract where they were making like 10 times more than like the mean salary in the region. And these people were usually being sent to like front lines, like positions they likely wouldn't come back from. Yeah, it's just sad that the like most amount of people who are leaving or joining the war are indigenous people because they value their land so much and culture. Like most of their daily life and culture is around the resources they get from the environment and their natives to that land. So the fact that they're being forced to leave is sad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah part of that goes to the choke the choked out of the coast. And there there's a part of it that's still open, but a good majority of it's still Russian controlled. Mm-hmm. And they still control a lot of the naval naval access for, for, for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And the Russians have these icebreakers. They have a lot more technology than Ukraine yeah. does still to this day. And I bet it'd be hard to leave your country and go to another country just because they're used to living off the land and they have old traditions on their way of life and then they have to flee the country and go to a more modern society and they don't know how to like function or live in that way mm-hmm. it's just not what they're used to yeah so they're, they're adapting a lot well i have some information about russia's exports they because of tension between countries a lot of countries are making this decision to stop purchasing exports from russia but their main exports are like very essential. They produce crude oil, natural gas, wheat and corn, and metals. And a lot of neighboring countries, especially like Egypt and Europe, they get main their main source of wheat comes from Russia, and then we also get fuel and oil from them. Um, but because of their invasion of Ukraine, a lot of people are choosing not to buy from them and instead get it from other countries, which is raising the prices. It's also benefiting the countries who are now like getting money from that because they're not used to having people buy their oil or their wheat and they're able to raise their prices and make profit out of it and improve their economy while we're having to pay more and experience inflation. Yeah, there's something that I don't know how I've danced around this, but you speak of inflation in here. So far, the U.S. committed nearly $40 billion in aid to Ukraine in total and decreased the troop, pres- the troop presence to over 100,000 in Europe. And it's a far cry from what we're hearing from our own president. We're hearing... We're not going to send troops. We're only sending surplus. But I read those numbers, and that does not seem the case. It seems like we're sending, well, I know we're sending just surpluses, but that's $40 billion. There's no way that's just surpluses. So you and, and, he's compl- and, he's, and he seems to have lied about troops. He seems to have lied about that because it seems like even, I mean, there is the possibility that we're just sending them to the UK in place like at a round down Ukraine, but they're still very close to still still very close to hot zone. They're not too far. It could just be like preparation in case it gets like out of hand and Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. He said we wouldn't attack Russia, but he's seeming he's seeming like he wants to. Mm-hmm. It could also just be like a cautionary measure, like yeah. just in case like Russia does and eventually take Ukraine and they want to push further into Europe and because mm-hmm. that would cause some serious issues like globally for a bunch of countries. That's the thing. I don't think Russia, if they do take over Ukraine and like win this war, I don't think they're going to stop at Ukraine because they have. Oh, like, no, they're not. This they is, feed off of like power. There's a quote I love from history. History's not repeat, but it does rhyme. And that's what's happening. If you look at World War II, 
what Putin planned at the beginning of this war, I will walk into Russia and they will throw their arms up and surrender. And he was not lying. He, he totally thought that was going to happen. Obviously, it hasn't, but who does that mirror? That mirrors what, Hit, what Hitler tried to do and did successfully with Poland. He's trying to use Ukraine as a doormat to Europe. Mm-hmm. I feel like he would even, like, go into Asia. like eventually. Well, well, it's probably... Like, more of Asia. Eh, like He's he's allies with, with China, so I don't know. Yeah. I just and, hope that, like, you, the Ukrainian, like, survives this, but... um. I just hope that indigenous people will get to return to their land after they fled and that more indigenous people don't have to flee. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I was, I, I read about the them leaving, and the main thing was they, they left, in most cases, knowing they'd probably never return. And they didn't just leave behind land. They left behind belongings because they had to leave that quickly. They could, could barely bring anything with them because they had to leave in such short notice. Yeah, this war has been very devastating. Thank you for Thank listening. You. Yeah. Um, this is Circumpolar History 111. I'm Emma Hype. I'm Willard. Chris King. I'm Mabel Tim.